Welcome to the Modern Masculinity Podcast, where we delve into the depths of what it means to be a man in today's world, and we explore the real-life challenges and triumphs that you and I face every single day. My name is Hector Santi Esteban, and I come with no answers, only questions for some of the most wise, insightful, and grounded men that I know. So get settled in. You're listening to Modern Masculinity. Fellas, welcome to another episode. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm honored and humbled and grateful that you would let me be a part of your journey. And I am grateful and honored that I could be a part of yours. Today, we're going to talk about, I don't know if I should call it problem, this issue, this challenge, and in it, this opportunity that men have to start putting themselves first in a way that is good for everybody. Here's what I mean. I think that there are all of these examples of what some people might call toxic masculinity, all these negative examples, perhaps, or at least they're seen in a negative examples where a guy is, is selfish, is too self-centered to the detriment of his family, to the detriment of the people around him. You know, we've seen the examples of the CEO who you know, abandons his family essentially to go out and build a business or you know, vice versa, someone who, who gets lost in these other things, pursuing something for themselves. And the challenge is, is that there is a balance. And I've seen, and I know I'm speaking firsthand, it's possible to go too far the other way. It's possible to put other people first too much to the point where you're not honoring yourself. Gosh, I can't tell you how relevant and prescient that is for me right now. But it's important. And so we talk about the ability and the necessity for self-care and the necessity for putting yourself first while you are in a role of providership. And sometimes maybe that's caretaking or caregiving and, and some of the dynamics that come along with that. So it's a great an always needed conversation. Buckle up. Enjoy today. Today's with Mac Scotty McGregor. Mac, welcome to the Modern Masculinity Show. It's great to have you here. Great to be here, Hector. Thanks for having me. So we'll just jump right in. I'd love for you to share with the audience. You shared with me a little bit before. You guys are kind of empty nesters. You've got grandkids around. You've got a nonprofit. So a lot of things going on. But as a man, as a husband, as a father, grandfather, what is something that you are struggling with or challenged by currently? I'm challenged by trying to figure out a balance between self-care and caring for all the other things I need to care for. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And not being resentful, sometimes get resentful if I just don't have time to myself or to do the things I like to do. And when you have a lot of responsibility, that happens. But struggling to speak my needs and be okay with that because I'm the oldest of a mentally ill parent. And I learned to be a caregiver really young because of that for my little brother and my mom. My little brother and I weren't taught to talk about our needs because my mentally ill mother required a lot of care. It's been a learning curve to be able to just speak my needs. What has that journey been like for you? Because I think as men, we are providers, we're fixers, we're problem solvers, and we're taking care of so much. How did that process evolve for you? Because I think so many men just stay in that spot of just taking care of other people. And then 
being resentful and then upset and looking at everybody else to fill their cups or take care of the needs that maybe they should have been. So how did that journey evolve for you? Well, it's helpful that I have an amazing wife who is a really great communicator and won't let me get away with not communicating. (laughs) She pushes me to speak my needs and not just expect her to read my mind. And (laughs) so that's been helpful. And her patience with me along that have been great as well, because I think one of the biggest jobs that we all have to do sometime is the unlearning, not the learning. And so it's unlearning things that I learned as a kid dealing with all that, that my needs weren't the most important or weren't really valued or important at all because we were all rushing to take care of the crises around my mother and her situation all the time. And so, you know, nobody said to me, your needs don't matter. But I mean, that's the message you get as a kid dealing with that kind of stuff. And then on top of it, like you said, you put the normal masculine messaging. We have to be the strong one all the time and the caretakers and self-sufficient. All that messaging that goes along with being a masculine person on top of the situation I grew up with, it's more peeling back the layers of the crap, (laughs) the socialization and the crap I learned. Yeah. Is that something you look at today? Because there's such change going on with what a traditional masculine man is supposed to be or do or have. And you were forced into this caretaking, I don't want to say forced, it was probably a great opportunity, but you were given this opportunity to have a different role that a lot of men are stepping into today without the models, without the instructions or the guidance on how to be a man in that role, how to be a caretaker as a man, or even to think like, should I be doing this? Or is this something that I should be doing? Right. Yeah, it is a challenge. Here's the thing. We've been taught traditionally that nurturing which it takes to be a caregiver, is a feminine role. And that's the traditional masculine model. The nurturing is a feminine thing. And so a lot of masculine people have pushed that aside as that's not my job, that's her job. And yet that has caused us to not have the best relationships with our kids and our grandkids and our nieces and nephews and even our spouse. I think the modern thing is to learn how do we balance that with being a masculine person, whatever that means to us. That's the interesting thing, define what masculinity means. And I think if you ask, because I ask this question in the work I do traveling all over the place to different groups, and it's so interesting how different the responses are. There are definitely some similarities, like strong always comes up the masculine has to be strong. But that's one of the messages that we have to look at and say, how balanced is that? Because it's not even physically possible to be strong 24-7. Everybody has times when you're not going to be strong. And so then does that make you feel like a failure? And that's something for us to examine within ourselves. Because if it does, then that messaging, that social conditioning has really gotten through to us, which makes it harder for us to ask for help when we need it. I think about models because that's a big thing that I'm realizing is I am taking on willingly a much larger role in parenting than my dad did. And that's perhaps because of generationally, and he was much more present and much more involved than his dad, as I'm sure generationally we've been getting better. But I say that because I have had to look for other dads now. I've had to find other mentors. I couldn't look to my family. I couldn't look to the examples to see what 
or how to do something. And I think that that's a big problem with especially men these days is that there aren't enough positive examples of how to how to navigate that and how to do it with a sense of self-esteem and a sense of self-worth. You know, I had one friend try and dig at me by saying that I was being Mr. Mom because I was home with the kids more. And I think that a lot of guys are out there fighting against that narrative of here's what I'm supposed to do, here's what I'm supposed to be, and vice versa for their partners. Oh, I totally agree. I was born in the 60s and I had a really good role model. My grandfather... My mom had me at 16, so my grandparents helped care for me when I was little, and they were great. But my grandfather was a great role model, and he was a super accomplished, strong, outgoing man, built his own business, was very successful. But one of the things he did, I was like his little mini-me as a kid. It was more action. You know, he was nurturing, but in a more action-oriented way. Like, he taught me how to garden and work the land and love the land. He taught me how to fish. I remember like he was really good at math. So he like really worked with me when I was learning my times tables and things like that. He was very action oriented, but he taught me so many things, but he was very patient when he did that and encouraging as he taught me, even if I messed up, you know, as I was learning something. And I really value the times I had with him. He just really gave a good example of how to be a masculine man that was also nurturing. He was teaching me, but he was doing it in a nurturing way. Right. That nurturing is, I don't know, it seems like it could be hard. And perhaps I'm just speaking from personal experience because my dad and we had a great Super Bowl yesterday and we really connected and our relationship, I feel like, is better now than it's ever been. There was an unsureness about how to connect between men. It seemed like, or it seems like we're just now figuring that out because we're both men now and we both, you know, have some similar perspectives and he doesn't have to be as much of a dad and we can be friends a little bit more. I wish that my dad was more nurturing or connected me with me more, but I don't know that he knew how to do that. Yeah. Like you said, a lot of people don't have great role models in that. That's how we learn is by the models that we have in front of us. So if somebody doesn't have a great role model, you're just fumbling around figuring it out on your own. Right. Right. (laughs) And that takes time to figure it out. And then the dynamics as you're growing and getting older, you know, and becoming an adult yourself, the dynamics of your relationships change a lot. And so then you have to navigate that as well. How has that evolved? Because you once again, had the opportunity to be different amongst the times where there was this positive example that was the minority. And so I've got to imagine that you felt different or something was different. I've noticed that there were a lot of the mentors who went against the grain. A lot of them are just so radically different that they go against the grain in everything. So (laughs) so it was just another thing. But did you find yourself being different than most dads or most men? Or did you feel like there was some contrast between what the ideals that you had inside for yourself and what society and people around you seem to project? Oh, yeah, there's definitely some differences. But in my life, a lot of that had to do with my martial arts journey because I started martial arts at six years old. And by the time I was 17, I won the lightweight fighting title and was on the U.S. karate team and started traveling all over the world competing. I retired from competition at 39, but I've coached 59 national karate champions and I have a teacher's heart. 
So then in my relationships with young people, I'm the Shihan, which is, everybody knows the word sensei, but Shihan means teacher of teachers. I'm a higher level, maybe professor would be a, something similar. And so I had nurtured my students in that way with my kids and nieces and nephews and all that's just a natural part of who I am. So really my grandfather's teaching and then my long history in the martial arts, because one of the beautiful things about the martial arts is when you learn something, you're expected to turn around and help somebody under you learn it. So you're always helping the belts lower than you learn it, which helps cement it in you. But it also pulls out that if you have that in you, that teacher heart in you, it just really develops it and pulls it out. So yeah, the nurturing, I guess I was always different because I always had that teacher heart. That resonates with me. That's something that when I'm thinking about, I have a four-year-old son and I'm always challenged at playing figurines or, you know, the playing part always comes a little harder to me. My three-year-old daughter, she wants to play dress up and that's not as natural. Whereas if you think about teaching and connecting that way, we don't generalize or we try not to generalize, but there's something very masculine or fatherly about that part, right? And teaching through that and connecting through teaching. So I think that's a really fascinating idea there. Well, I just want to tag on to that. You know, now my eight-year-old granddaughter is very into Minecraft, the game Minecraft. I didn't know anything about Minecraft till she introduced me to it. And then, you know, she tells me I need a tutor because I'm really bad at it. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things is I'm playing these games with her, these video games. And the teacher in me looks right away at what is she learning? She's really learning like spatial awareness, how to put things together, how to navigate obstacles. There's a lot of really interesting skills that she's learning in this play. So one of the things I just thought of as you said that is that even in play, and you know, as somebody who's taught martial arts for many years and also taught little ones, I've had to turn physical skills into something that they play learning so they don't even realize what they're learning, you know, because <laughs> they're having fun doing it. They want to do it. So there is a great ability to learn things during play. And I think we shouldn't forget that as masculine people. Sometimes we get too serious in it, especially with young kids, but all people need that playtime. We all need to nurture that little kid and have that playtime, no matter how old we are. Yeah. And it's a great point. And I think that part of this show is figuring out how do we navigate whatever masculinity means in today's world, in today's parameters and circumstances, in the same way that our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers were given a certain set of conditions and they did what they, you know, hopefully saw as an ideal. And I'm sure there were great examples and not great examples, but I would like to get your thoughts on what is the messaging that you feel is given to guys, to dads, to husbands? And we've talked about the family guy, the Homer Simpson, the Tim Allen kind of dad that was portrayed for so long in media and what the ramifications have been for men who grew up seeing those as the models. So I'm just curious what you think about society and its messaging in general towards men and guys. Today, yeah. Well, I think it really depends on where you live and the community you live in, because I often say that even within the United States, we have like five countries within our country. It depends on what region you're in, you know, the expectations. So right now I live in Seattle, which is a very liberal-minded area, and you see something here I would have never seen where I grew up in the Bible Belt in the South, and that's I've seen men walking, men with full beards and like <laughs> walking with their infant strapped to their chest with that cloth wrap. 
You'd never see that in the Bible Belt in the South because that would be considered a feminine thing, not for the masculine. But men here are not afraid to do that and show that they're just like very invested dads. And that's celebrated here. And I think that's really cool. Well, yes, absolutely. It's cool that being a present dad is becoming more of the norm and it's becoming the expectation. I'm from Southern California. And so if it leaned one way or the other, it would be a little more liberal, but I'm in Orange County now and things get a little weird. So my point is, is do you think that though, in some places there are still some things that are holding men back or why is it that this conversation is still such a big debate? I'm curious what you're seeing. Yeah, I definitely do. So my dad and my two brothers live in Florida. (laughs) And uh, that's where I'm originally from. Don't hold that against me. And and it's a very different atmosphere there. The expectations are very different. I mean, of course, Florida is a complicated state because of the tourism. And if you go into certain little pockets, you're going to see a lot more diversity. But in old Florida, like if you go to the cities that aren't tourist related, it's very old fashioned in a lot of ways. And so the guys are expected to fix things and drive trucks or jeeps and be outdoorsy type of tough guys, you know? (laughs) And that's still there. I mean, when I go visit, I see it very clearly. It's very different from what it is in Seattle, how they act and how they even interact with one another. So how do you reconcile? And I don't think that any is right. And we're not here to cast any prescriptions, but I'm curious how you in your head reconcile that or your kids are how old? And do you have you have boys? Yeah, two boys. One is 21 and one is 30. They're stepkids, but yes, yes. So I'm 31 and I have a brother who's 25. And I realized that thankfully I'm married and have two kids and I'm kind of beyond that single dating. Thankfully, I figured things out and hopefully I've gotten my wife to stick around. So <laughs> hopefully, fingers crossed. But how do you coach your sons through this kind of changing world where now you see a Florida and a Seattle and there's these two, how do you reconcile that world? Well, one of the things I teach is that you and I and my sons and my grandkids, they can all define masculinity for themselves. I want everybody to understand you can be empowered to define masculinity or femininity for yourself. And also realizing that we're all a combination of some of both of those energies. And one of the ways I teach this is from my martial arts background, the yin and the yang energy. So in America, a lot of people translate yin and yang to male and female, and that is a very white belt translation, I would say. (laughs) It has much deeper meaning than that. So the yin energy is the more affirming, quiet, nurturing, in a quiet way, nurturing energy encouraging, but in a more subdued way. And the yang energy is more action-oriented, like my grandfather teaching me things through us doing them together, like going fishing, teaching me how to do it. So we all have some of each of those. And it's about understanding that we're better people when we have a good balance of those as a whole, and realizing that we can determine that for ourselves we can determine what we want masculinity to be for ourselves. And I think that's empowering. We don't have to listen to that old messaging we heard growing up any longer if it's not serving us well. And that's the question I always ask. 
is, is that messaging still serving you well? And let's break it down. You know, like you always have to be strong. Does that message serve you well all the time? No, creates quite some problems. Yeah. Right. You know, we always have to be self-sufficient as men. Does that serve you well all the time? No, it keeps us also from collaborating as much as we could you know, with one another, right? It makes us feel like we're in competition all the time instead of working together more. So I think it's us breaking these messages down and looking at them and saying, if I want to thrive in life and I want my family to thrive, let's examine what parts of this message still serve us well and what parts don't and replace the part that's don't with something healthier. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. And I think that one of the themes that's emerged out of the conversations that we've had is this evolution of masculinity. It's not necessarily a throwing out or a getting rid of, it's an evolution of it. And one of the big evolutions is that there are these different iterations. It's not a black or white or red or green. There are all these shades and hues in between. Each person has their own unique iteration and representation of what that means to them. And I think that that's a part of the evolution as well. Right. Yeah, I call it masculinities in my book, which means there's more than one way to be masculine. And the same thing, I think on the other side, there's more than one way to be feminine as well. I mean, if we just look at people that we know, or not know, you know, personally, but we look at in the public eye, we can take Dwayne the Rock Johnson and on one end of the spectrum and Mr. Rogers on the other end, those are two very different forms of masculinity. Right. 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 <laughs> and yet still both well, are valid. <laughs> yeah. I just remember reading, I think it's a streetcar named Desire, right? Are you familiar with that? You know, where he says, Stella. I remember reading that and thinking in a strange way, this is what men are like. This is the emblem of a man. I think that was the wrong point to gain from it. Maybe that was what they were trying to say in the actual writing of it, that this is the problem. But that's not what I gathered from it. What I gathered was that men were macho and men were violent and aggressive. And that's what men were. It was almost this acceptance of the uh, well, just dealing with it, right? As opposed to understanding or evolving with it. It's interesting how the ideals have evolved over time. And I think we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, I do too. I think we're moving in a direction where we are understanding that we need to allow men more than one, two, or three emotions. We're all created emotional beings, not just women. And first of all, we need to understand that, admit that. And we're allowed to have more emotions than anger, frustration, and high-fiving our buddies when our team wins, you know? <laughs> right. Right. You know, right. There, there's a lot. We're more we're much more complicated beings than that. Right. And but we've been taught since we were little as masculine people to shut the rest of our emotional beings down by society, because little boys start being taught really young. If they show tenderness or they show emotion or sadness or grief, they're taught not to cry. Right. To shut that down, not to show that type of emotion. And that's challenging. Yeah. Part of what you're getting into a little bit now, which is the ability for guys to take care of themselves. And since COVID, since lockdown happened, I've been on a serious health journey. You know, we had just had our second kid. The dad bod was in full effect. Nothing was fitting anymore. And, and so I kind of looked in the mirror and said, like, you know, now's the time. And I say that and initially it was because of vanity and physical reasons. There were some personal gains that came out of it too in terms of personal accountability and being more confident in yourself and all those kinds of things. 
what I found was the most valuable thing, though, was the emotional stability that it gave me and the ability to regulate my emotions better and to properly deal with the masculine emotions that we're supposed to have, but no one tells you how to deal with the anger, the frustration, all those things that are manly things to have. But then when they're unregulated, that's how you get problems. And so I'm curious your thoughts on the whole idea of men taking care of themselves and why you think more men aren't doing that. Yeah. Well, first of all, what you talked about working on getting in shape and how that helped you emotionally, because generally men, they meditate and everything better with movement. We're just more action oriented. That's one of the masculine things, right? So I am a walk the labyrinth guy when I meditate. It's like go on walks, listen to, you know, guided meditation as I go on walks. It's very difficult for me to do it sitting still, right? I don't get the same benefit. And working out does help you regulate your emotions. I think as a young person, being involved in the martial arts and team sports I was involved in really helped me work out a lot of things, a lot of frustration and things that I was going through. And that's a very healthy way for us because we have to move emotion through our bodies. Otherwise, it gets all, you know, stopped up in there and we literally get blockages that cause tension in our muscles. I mean, that's just the beginning of it. Each cell in our body has its own intelligence. So it is important to move emotion through our bodies. And we need to remember that when we're feeling all stressed or when we're grieving or whatever, that is not the time to skip your walk or your workout or your hike or whatever you do. That's the time to go do it. Yes. <laughs> I think one of the big things for men in self-care is we're taught to be the providers and the protectors and the and caregivers in that way. And so we generally put our own health and well-being on the back burner and starting to change our thinking around that, realizing that by me taking good care of my own health, both mental and physical, that is a way I'm taking care of my family as well and those that I care for. Because I can't be there to take care of them or do anything for them if I'm not healthy. You don't have enough for yourself, right? I was going to say that the exercise, it feels like a wringing out of the emotions. It literally feels like you're wringing them out of your body. I think men need to do that. Otherwise, they're literally trapped there. And your family or your wife or your business, they're subject to that. That's so true. And I love that description, the ringing out. That's a great description of it. And, you know, especially now, since more men are working in sedentary environments, more men are working in offices, not as many men have physical jobs, because it used to be that most men worked in more physical jobs. And so they got some of that out in their job. They were working with their hands all the time. It required strength and a lot of physicality. And that's not the case as much anymore. And so, yeah, we have to find other ways to get that out. And you don't have to be a jock to find something you love to do, right, to do this for yourself, whether it's hiking. Like one of the things I love about living in the Pacific Northwest is we have such beautiful hiking here. And I love getting out in nature. That's another way to ground yourself and help your own health. There's something that's very calming about nature and grounding, and that's good for all of us, too. So whether you like to kayak or hike or whatever, you find that thing 
And then it's even better if you find a buddy that likes to do that too, and you can do that together. Because one of the other things, we touched on it earlier in masculine messaging is, we're not as good as masculine people at developing real friendships as women are. That's something we can learn from them. And I think that's because we're taught not to share real things that are going on with us to hide a lot of our emotion. So if we're struggling with something, we generally don't talk to a buddy about it. We talk to a buddy about work and sports and things like that, you know, and therefore we don't have those friendships to draw on when we're going through hard times and we generally expect our spouse or significant other to deal with it all, whereas women share the load better with their friends and family. And that's something we can learn from them. And it enriches our life to have more authentic friendships and relationships and to learn to be there for each other. Yeah. Mac, we're coming up against the hour here, and hopefully you'll grace us maybe again with another episode. But I want to hear, because you have a cool program coming out, so I want to hear about that. But before we get to that, my last question to you is, what does modern masculinity mean to you? It means defining masculinity for yourself and not allowing your community or society to define it for you, but figuring out what serves you well and defining it for yourself. I love it. Absolutely. Mac, you have quite a few things going on. You've got a radio show. You've got a book out there. We connected on LinkedIn. Where else can people go and dive deeper into your stuff if they want? PositiveMasculinityNow.org is my website. We have a monthly free virtual discussion group, and we pick a different topic every month that we discuss for anyone who identifies masculine can come to it from anywhere. We have some really amazing discussions. We have a guest speaker actually tonight is our group. And all you have to do is email positivemasculinity1 at gmail.org. And you can be a part of that free discussion group. We also have workshops available and blogs on there. And we're always looking for new folks to write blogs. So if you like to write, we love to hear different perspectives on all of this. And we are launching in March and April a campaign for men's health, both mental and physical. Just a reminder for guys, because we're not that great at doing our annual checkups and taking good care of our own health, a reminder to do that and to go get your screenings, go get your checkups, and that's the way you're caring for yourself and your family. And to think about your mental health also, what would help make you healthier? Just to examine that a little bit and feel more confident mentally. Yeah. Mac, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate the time. Guys, go get connected. And the power of being in a group like that is just, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like being around a group of guys that can support and hold space for you. So great to see you doing that. Thanks again, Mac. And we appreciate you guys sticking with us. We'll see you on the next one.